Okay, well, uh, it's nice to be here. Um, good morning again. Um, happy everyone was able to make it. Um, I'm hoping we are all preparing for Passover at this point, right? It's about three weeks away. And so, of course, we are preparing both physically and spiritually, right? Physical preparation is, of course, important, but we need to be spiritually prepared as well. That's more important than being physically prepared because he desires our hearts as well as our obedience. And I know at this time of year, a little bit of self-examination is something that's definitely in order because it's, we're coming into another um, season of Moedim, which is very handy to our human nature because it would be nice if we could maintain a high status of righteousness year-round, but that's just not the kind of way we are. And so the season of the Moedim as they flow along during the year give us these opportunities to sort of do a little work on the self and uh, allow us to be better disciples, certainly. So this morning I'd like to talk a little bit about how this week's Torah portion may have something helpful for us in that effort. This week I will be focusing on the disagreement between Moshe and Aharon there that Beth was alluding to. And there's a valuable lesson that we can learn from their disagreement. Disagreements, they happen, and it's important that we try to learn something from disagreements, not just be entertained by them. Because human beings have almost a uh, voyeuristic obsession with people disagreeing with each other. And I think it's built in. I was thinking about this. I took my youngest daughter to the park last Sunday, and they were playing around, and two little boys got in an argument over some little game they were playing. And all the other little kids were just kind of staring at them, like almost in amazement over that, just very interested in the disagreement. And that sort of interest, it sticks with us to today. That's why Dr. Phil is so popular. Um, You know, Cheryl, one of these days they're going to make you stand up and recite the Ten Commandments if you can't keep that thing silenced. And it'd be really embarrassing if you can't remember all ten of them. You know? Yeah, like a little phone jar where you have to write a check every time your phone goes off. That's a good idea. Look at this. You know, yeah. Okay, so we're going to look at, uh, look at their little disagreement today that we got going on. Parsha Shemeni, it's the 26th Torah portion in Torah, and we will be in chapter 9 of Leviticus, right, or Vayikra. Um, that's this week's Torah portion. Uh, I didn't write any page numbers down, so you'll just have to find it the old-fashioned way. If you can't find Leviticus chapter 9 on your own without me telling you a page number... Coming into this chapter, of course, the, really the last uh, part of the book of Shemot or Exodus and the beginning of Leviticus, of course, is all about the building of the tabernacle, the Mishkan, and the installation of the priests and them making all the different items for uh, that whole process. And so 
um, we're getting into the culmination where they're actually going to start putting this into practice. Chapter 9, verse 1, on the eighth day, Moshe called Aharon, uh, his sons and the leaders of Israel, and said to Aharon, uh, take a male for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering, uh, both without defect, and offer them before Adonai. Now, this is the eighth day, right? This is the beginning of sorts for the priesthood. Um, the seven-day period that was, uh, they were designed to sort of go through for preparations over. And this is actually, we're, this Torah portion is day one of the priesthood actually doing their thing. So picking up in verse 22, chapter 9, verse 22 on the next page, they are, uh, this is where they're about to make this thing official, right? They've done some, uh, some of their ritual. And verse 22 says, Aharon raised his hands toward the people, blessed them, and came down from offering the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the peace offerings. Moshe and Aharon entered the tent of meeting, came out, and blessed the people. Then the glory of Adonai appeared to all the people. Fire came forth from the presence of Adonai, consuming the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they uh, shouted and fell on their faces. Now, this must have been a very powerful uh, time, a very wondrous and joyful time for the people, sort of the, um, this is almost a natural culmination to the whole Mount Sinai experience. They get freed from Egypt, they go to Mount Sinai, a very powerful experience. Then there's another good year where they're kind of getting everything together, and this is the next kind of really, really big event for the nation of Israel. So it should have been an incredibly happy and joyous time for them. Turns to tragedy pretty soon when we continue reading the next verse, chapter 10, verse 1. But Nadav and Avihu, sons of Aharon, each took his censer and put fire on it, laid incense on it, and offered unauthorized fire before Adonai, something he had not ordered them to do. At this, fire came forth from the presence of Adonai and consumed them so that they died in the presence of Adonai. Um, certainly something that uh, would be devastating to the people. Um, but Aharon kept silent, even though he is certainly stunned at the moment and probably grieving on the inside, uh, very much so about the death of his sons. And like well, Mike Vandermeulen was saying when you read the half Torah portion, this is an indication of how Adonai holds people a little bit near to him to a higher standard. They get there's. Um, when the rules that he puts forth, he expects certainly the leaders and, and the people that are close to him to have a higher standard and to follow those. But, but moving along, as we um, continue reading through here, there's some uh, different instructions that he's giving Moshe and Aharon just regarding uh, being priests and... Um, so we get to verse 12, chapter 10, verse 12. We have another instruction here. That's kind of important when you think about the argument we're going to get into in a second. Verse 12, Moshe said to Aharon and to Eleazar and Itamar, his remaining sons, take the grain offering left from the offerings for Adonai made by fire and eat it without leaven next to the altar because it is especially holy. They're supposed to take this offering and eat it. And there's 
Uh, this is really a repetition of several other instructions about the sin offering that you can read about back in chapter 9, I think chapter 6 too, back in chapter 3 as well. So it's been repeated over and over and over to them that they're supposed to take the sin offering and eat it in the holy place. So this isn't news to them. This is something they've been told several times. So Moshe is expecting they're going to be eating this offering because that's kind of been drilled into their head here for a little bit. So we pick up the argument here. Uh, is, um, starts in verse 16 of chapter 10. Um, then Moshe carefully invested what had happened to the goat of the sin offering and discovered that it had been burned up. They didn't need it. He became angry with Eleazar and Itamar, the remaining sons of Aaron, and asked, why didn't you eat the sin offering in the area of the sanctuary since it is especially holy? He gave it to you to take away the guilt of the community and to make atonement for them before Adonai. Look, its blood wasn't brought into the sanctuary. You should have eaten it there in the sanctuary as I ordered. Aharon answers Moshe, even though they offered their sin offering and burnt offering today, things like these have happened to me. He's talking about the death of his sons. If I had eaten the sin offering today, would it have pleased Adonai? And on hearing this reply, Moshe was satisfied. So at the beginning here, there is a disagreement and a little bit of anger as well. And the disagreement is a valid one. On the one hand, the commandments are there for a reason. It's the written word. And Moshe thinks we, they should pretty much be followed no matter what the circumstances are. This is their ritual. This is uh, what they're supposed to be doing. On the other hand, Aharon, the high priest, right, he understands that coming for God, before God means coming before him not just physically, you know, but the soul, the, the heart needs to be in the right place as well. If there's something weighing so heavy on his heart, should he, uh, this should have some kind of impact on his worship. So Aharon appeals to emotion here something many of us might not be so quick to accommodate, but he's appealing to emotion. After all, um, the, scri the scripture does say to eat the sin offering, but what's he supposed to do in a, in a time of mourning? Aharon's reasoning, obviously, because Moshe was satisfied, he, uh, his appeal to emotion worked. And this is also reflected a little bit later on in Torah, that Moshe sort of um, incorporates this aspect of the emotion part of it into the, uh, the offerings. If you were to look at Devarim or Deuteronomy chapter 26, Deuteronomy chapter 26, or Devarim, it is on page 226. Yes, Moshe here is kind of um, going back through a lot of the different uh, things that they've been doing and summarizing the Torah a little bit. And he is um, telling the people that, uh, let's see here, verse, let's start near the top of the page. Verse 14 is where the crux of it is. I haven't eaten any of this food one morning. I haven't put any of it 
aside when unclean, nor have I given any of it for the dead. So Moshe realizes at this point, this is many years later, that, of course, as they're going through and he's sort of summarizing all the laws and summarizing the way they should act, that, yes, eating something, which is in the priestly sense, that's what you do when you do the sin offering for the people, you're supposed to eat it, he has it right in there. He didn't eat any of it one morning, sort of alluding to this week's Torah portion, which was years earlier, that Aharon kind of had it, made an impact on him. You know, the heart has to be into this. So the lesson you can draw out of this is while uh, we should be preparing ourselves physically for Passover coming up, right, ridding uh, the house of any leaven, um, the heart still needs to be in it. We need to be first getting the leaven out of our hearts, first making sure that ourselves are right. But you need both. Can't throw one out and just have just the heart. So there's a little bit of compromise that kind of goes on here. At first, Moshe is kind of mad about them not eating the sin offering. And then there's a bit of a compromise, which sounds a little alarming. There's a little compromise when Aharon defers to emotion. And so that deferring can seem problematic because they both wanted to do what was right and they're both trying to be holy, but in their disagreement, each one of them, a little bit of compromise and they got to a point where there was peace. It seems that in the end, Torah is very concerned with the heart as well as obedience. And so while Moshe's anger was, uh, the righteous anger was maybe perhaps improper, um, he did defer to peace in that particular instance. Now, if we try to bring this back into today's uh, sort of time for modern-day application, I'm not suggesting that we compromise to the world or anything like that instead of standing on truth, but it is possible to seek peace with the world and still keep ourselves set apart at the same time especially during a time when we're trying to strive for holiness and, and uh, self-improvement. There's a very helpful verse um, that I have gone to a lot just in my own head as far as trying to maintain that balance of trying to keep myself, you know, a high standard for myself, but at the same time still existing, uh, sometimes in the world that seems very hostile to that. It's from the book of um, Hebrews, chapter 12. If you're in your Stearns Bible there, it is on page 1506 or 1507. If you have a different version of Scripture, it's Hebrews, chapter 12. And it's just one verse, but... Oh, yeah, I have it marked off here. It's uh, an easy one. To remember, he was chapter 12, verse 14. Keep pursuing shalom, that's peace, of course, with everyone and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Amen to that. So there's two things there. Pursue peace and pursue holiness. If you pursue peace, that's an effort that is between you and other people. Pursuing holiness... Well, that's not with other people. That's, that's just something for yourself. And so you can pursue peace with uh, everyone around you, which diffuses disagreement, and you can still hold on to a high standard of living for yourself, right? 
today the world is suffering from a great lack of peace. And there's much disagreement out there. But um, sometimes it does seem like a fine line. I mean, we want to speak out against injustices and wickedness, of course, especially on social media. That's something that you see a lot of people do. They get on that keyboard and they're just dispensing justice, right? Well, that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says to pursue peace, peace with other people. It's difficult because there's sometimes stuff that I see that makes me angry, but then again, pursue peace. The second part of that, holiness, that's where we keep ourselves set apart, is by pursuing holiness. We've been reading all about the Mishkan, the ritual, all the various items, and how they are set apart from normal items. Pursuing holiness is really where we are able to draw closer to God while just leaving the world kind of alone to do whatever the world does. Because when you look at the example in Torah, all these holy items were once common items. And being common isn't bad, it's just common. It's a normal cup, it's a normal uh, piece of clothing. But when it's consecrated and goes through this process, now it is uh, set apart for service to God. It's, it's set apart and it's different than all the other common items. And it has a divine purpose. So when we are pursuing holiness, which doesn't involve the world really in any way, we are preparing ourselves for divine services and we will be recognized as people who are different, who hold ourselves to a, a higher standard and serve as people who seek peace and are uh, a good example to the common items or other people that are out there, hopefully inspiring to draw them closer to Adonai. So this Passover season, as we're getting there, and like I said, it's only three weeks away, let's continue to um, seek peace with others, of course, being kind to everyone we meet, but pursue holiness as well, which is working on ourselves and setting ourselves apart, examining ourselves, making sure that the uh, vessel is clean, right? And be ready for that higher purpose. Yeshua echoes the same peace and holiness pairing. Um, in Matthew 5, I'll read it for you. You don't have to turn there, but it's a very, everyone, I'm sure, uh, knows this uh, passage very well. He tells you, Yeshua says, I tell you, love your enemies, pray for those that persecute you, then you'll become children of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun shine on good people and bad people alike, right? And then he sends rain to the righteous and the unrighteous. Uh, what reward do you get if you love only those who love you? Why, even the tax collectors do that. And if you're only friendly to your friends, I mean, that's, you're not doing anything out of the ordinary. And so that's that pursuing peace. He wants you to pursue peace with others. And then he says in the same passage, Therefore, be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And so that's sort of like the pursuing holiness aspect of it. You can... That's uh, work you do on yourself, pursuing peace and pursuing holiness. Very overlapping uh, subjects. Pursue peace with your enemies and pursue holiness to seek perfection. It is a high standard that I fail at as well. So I will pray for you to uh, work on that and you pray for me to be working on that as well. And uh, as we promote, as we approach uh, Pesach, we will 
our hearts will be ready and um, we'll be prepared for that meeting. So I would ask that the Spirit, may the Spirit guide us and inspire us to uh, look within ourselves and help us be better Talmudim and to have those circumcised hearts, um, to seek peace and to pursue holiness, of course, and to seek his ways to turn from, turn from our wickedness and to uh, examine that leaven and get it out. Um, of course, may the grace of Adonai extend to all of us and our own shortcomings and may the peace we have in Yeshua be abundant in our souls. Shabbat Shalom. I'll close with a word of prayer and then some, uh, a couple quick announcements. So if you know our Father, um, I thank you for the Shabbat day for everyone that is here. I thank you for your holy Torah and all the wisdom and encouragement and inspiration that is in there. And, and for the words of our Master, Yeshua, who uh, give, is, allows us to be that light to the world. He is that fuel for that light to that uh, we can shine in this often dark world. And I just ask that uh, today be blessed, and as we go out from here, from the rest of this week, that uh, we can have that effect on the world around us and on our friends and family and coworkers, that we are known to be people who uh, seek peace with everyone, but yet hold ourselves to a high standard of holiness, and we show ourselves to be approved and to be uh, peaceful and uh, very well uh, behaved. Uh, Talmudim or Master Yeshua. I thank you and bless you for all things. B'Shem Yeshua. Amen.